Welcome to Nets Talk Now, Driving Change, a podcast brought to you by the Network of Employers for Traffic Safety. Each month, we bring you engaging conversations with global road safety leaders and innovators, so you too can work to advance road safety for everyone. Hi, welcome. This is Susan Hip, the Executive Director of the Network of Employers for Traffic Safety, or NETS. And we are here again to talk fleet safety, which is, of course, a very serious issue. And we know there are a lot of challenges and concerns with fleet safety, but I think we're going to have a little fun today because with me, we have the fleet safety geeks who are the, the world-renowned fleet safety geeks, if I can say that, Phil and Bob. Is that okay? Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> of course. Perfect. We have with us Bob Mossine and Phil Moser, who are who are very passionate about fleet safety. And as they like to say, they geek out about talking about driver safety and keeping drivers safe. And they call themselves geeks because they really are geeks about this stuff. And someone has to be. So they are more than happy to take on that role. And fleet safety, as I mentioned, it is so important for making the roads safer, not only for fleet drivers, but for all drivers. And that's what NETS focuses on is all drivers, the employees, but also family members and communities. So if you haven't checked out the Fleet Safety Geeks podcast, please do so. They have their own podcast as well with a lot of really relevant topics and information. So Bob Mossing and Phil Moser, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Susan. Glad to be here. So give us a little background uh, on both of you. What's Where did your passion for this topic come from? What's your experience with fleet safety? So in other words, why should we be listening to you, basically? I know you've got a lot of experience, but tell our listeners, you know, what's where's your passion on this coming from? Phil, you're older, so it might take you longer. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> so I guess my passion for you know driver safety started occurring when I was a police officer. And uh, when I started responding to uh, crash scenes and seeing what happens to people who are involved in crashes, then I started getting passionate about it. But then my department chose to uh, thank you for, to them for uh, giving me additional training. And I uh, was trained as a motor vehicle crash reconstructionist. So I reconstruct collisions. And so I was the guy that was on call, got called out for any fatals or what might become fatals. And I always say, I wish people could see it, smell it, and hear a crash scene, and it would change the way they drive. I guess that's where it uh, became entrenched with me. And then I I got involved with a a driver safety training company. They offered me full-time work. So uh, I went to the private sector, which my wife was very happy about. That's how I met Bob working with Bob, helping to train the uh, the drivers in his company. We've known each other for a couple of decades, I guess, Bob. <laughs> it's been a while. Just a couple of years. I'm sure that's eye-opening, Phil. That's something that, you know, you can never explain what that impact is like when you see crash scenes like that. So very impactful things that a lot of us hope to never see. So thanks for sharing that. And Bob, how about you? What's your What's your background? I've been managing fleets for 24 years. This is my 24th year. For me, it started out, I just was trying to reduce costs and keep our vehicles from getting in accidents. But then we did have a fatality at one of the companies I worked for. And it sort of hit home to where I was like, oh, man, that's one of my drivers that was in one of my vehicles. You know, I want to make sure that never happens again. So I started focusing more on safety. I've been at three different organizations where safety has always been a top priority within those organizations. So I feel that that's very important. And it really helped, you know, me to put a safety program in place. But it was when I attended one of Phil's training sessions that was really a uh, kind of eye-opening and extremely helpful. So I've taken a lot of that and incorporated it in what we do. I've been passionate about it ever since. I did work as a civilian employee with a sheriff's office, so I was able to see the aftermath of an accident and sometimes see like blood in the vehicle and certain things, which I didn't see what Phil saw at the scene of the accident. I saw the aftermath. Even that 
was very sobering, you know, to see something like that. So I don't want to have any of that happen. I want all my drivers to get home in the same condition as when they left. And if there's anything I can do to help them do that, that's that's what I'm trying to do. And that's exactly what this is about. And that's why, I mean, anybody that's involved in fleet safety, we are all so passionate about it for that reason, because we don't want to see that happen to anybody. You know, whether it's someone we know or an employee, it's, it's you know, it's a very serious topic. So given that, there are so many issues on the roads right now, not just in the United States, but around the world. And that's works with a lot of um, members, fleet members that have global fleet programs. So in your opinion, what should employers be focusing on right now? What's what's the thing that we need to be doing to keep drivers safe? And what should we address first? There's so many issues. Distractions, cell phones. Yep, distraction, impairment. I, th- I think impairments, it's, a, it's, a, it's getting back to, you know, early 80s numbers, I believe. And with some of the fatality statistics that are going on in the U.S. And, and, and other countries didn't experience what we experienced as a result of the COVID shutdown. Our crash rate actually went up. Our fatalities actually went up and other areas of the world did not experience that. And there are any number of reasons why that occurred. But I think impairment has a lot to do that way. and definitely distraction because as, as Bob said, distraction, cell phones, I think that the only connection that people had with the outside world during the shutdown was, you know, their electronics and they became addicted. I mean, this, and if people say, well, I'm not addicted, really. Do you go to the bathroom with your phone? <laughs> it's, it's, it's stuck in our hand all day long. It is. And if you don't have it, if people will drive five miles away from home and realize they don't have a phone, turn around, go back, get it, and then add 10 miles to their drive when they're going to be back in like an hour. We're lost without it. So I think that has absolutely something to do with it. And and then there's this this false sense of, well, if I use hands-free, I'm perfectly fine. And you're not. Talk about that for a second, Phil. Explain that because a lot of people do think that that that's okay. Every study has shown that if you're talking on the phone, hands-free, hands-set, it doesn't matter. You're as likely to crash as a person has a 0.08 blood alcohol concentration, which is the assumed level of intoxication everywhere. A lot of, a lot of countries in, in Utah, is 0.05. So, oh, wait, you're drunk. You're as likely to crash as that person, hands-free or hands-set. It, it's not the conversation. It's not the uh, holding of the phone. It is the conversation. And people would argue that well, you know, what's the difference between that and talking to somebody sitting next to you? Well, there's a big difference. You know, for one, it, it, the studies have shown that it takes more of your concentration to talk on the phone than it does to talk to somebody sitting next to you. And if you want to break it down in the simple terms, if somebody is sitting next to you and something begins to happen, at the very least, they're going to shut up, stop disturbing you. More likely, they'll say, hey, look out, it's another set of eyes. So the, the, the false argument that, well, I'm using hands-free, it's just not real. And the problem is, is that you see it all the time. You can't turn on the TV and not see somebody driving down the road, you know, with the things stuck in their ear. And, and that just, like, it's, it's normal. It's, it's okay to do that in society. It's not. It really isn't. It is a distraction, and it causes crashes. It does. And, and Bob, from an employer perspective, working with employees, how do you enforce that? How do you make sure that drivers are not using that cell phone and getting distracted? Yeah, I just want to say real quick, you know, just what Phil was saying is we we do talk about impairment a lot as well. But the reason I say distractions and cell phones is because our number one at-fault accident is rear-ending the vehicle in front of us. The number one non-preventable accident where it's the other driver's fault is we're getting rear-ended. It's not normal to drive down the road and slam into the vehicle in front of you. There is something causing that, and it's more than likely a distraction, driving too fast, reckless driving. Or you're impaired. So that's why we focus on that. From a employer standpoint, we ha- obviously have it in our policy. Um, we have a safety 
program that gives uh, drivers a point system that elevates their risk level. And, you know, we have low, medium, and high. If you're medium, you get a telematic device, you have a, a written warning, and the using of an electronic device while driving is an instant medium risk level. Um, what we are trying to do is tell our drivers how serious we are about this and how seriously they should not do that. After every accident, whether it's preventable or not, we go to IT and pull the phone logs to see if they were using their phone. Um, and if they were, we hold them accountable. We give them a written warning. We tell them this is not, po- this is not acceptable. We send out safety alerts every other week, one's from fleet, the other one's from health and safety for um, trips, falls, and just being safe in general. Um, We constantly are talking about distracted driving, just trying to remind people to not use the phone while driving. The problem is I still run MVRs, you know, monitor MVRs, and we're still seeing that show up as as a, a, a violation that's coming up on their MVRs is using an electronic device while driving. It is an addiction. I don't know how we can actually make that go away 100%. Most people, I think it's going to take an accident to show them that they shouldn't be doing that. I think that's the hard truth. You know, it's if you see it, it affects you. It affects someone you know. All of a sudden, it matters and it makes a difference. But we need to make sure it matters before then. So that kind of brings me to my next question here. You know, as an employer, you can put policies in place. You can check. You have technology. How do we convince all drivers to follow safe driving practices? It's always, you know, it's about the other guy. Oh, I'm not doing that. That's not my fault. It's I'm not doing anything wrong. It's somebody else. Or, you know, we never look at ourselves necessarily that we're doing anything wrong. And Phil, I'm going to joke here just a little bit. You talk about duct tape being the, the answer. I've heard you say duct tape is always the answer to everything right so do we have to duct tape people's hands to the steering wheel like what what can we do yeah i wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that and yeah that was uh, one of the these uh silly little messages i put out and one of the things i said was like if a passenger is distracting you ask them to stop but if not duct tape fixes everything but as far as you know what what can we do as a society we need to do better uh, and we need to start earlier there are other countries in this that do a much better job with educating uh, drivers. And it is a stigma to do these things behind the wheel and impaired driving, driving while distracted in, in certain areas of the world. Why isn't it that way in the U.S.? It should be. But again, I see the OEMs are not going to like me for this. I see commercials where drivers are driving down the road, not touching the wheel, clapping along to music, looking at their friends, having a great time, not touching the wheel because, well, it's an auto drive. Uh, I saw another one where uh, a lady is saying, I can finally talk to my son while I'm driving. So he's hearing impaired, using sign language to talk to her son while she's driving and she's looking at her son, not looking at the road. That is irresponsible. When I see those commercials, I just want to break my TV. It's telling people it's okay to do these things. So people are going to take that to the next level. I mean, they're going to eat, they're going to read, they're going to they're, they're going to talk on their phone, they're going to get on their computers. And some people, it's been absolutely verified, were actually sleeping because they thought, well, the car can drive by itself. Listen, there are there are stupid people out there. Let's just let's put it out there. Okay. And they're going to do they're going to do stupid things. I always tell people, listen, when you're driving around, just think that everybody around you is dumb and they're going to do something dumb. You won't be disappointed. And and I don't mean to be such a negative Nelly here, but the fact of the matter is that commercials like that, I believe, just promote unsafe habits. And that's what driving is. It's a series of habits that we develop right from the beginning, you know, from the time we start driving. Are they safe? Are they unsafe? You have to make those decisions and you have to make a safety decision multiple times during every drive. You just have to commit. And, and we have to, as a society, commit to being safe. And, and parents are wondering why their kids are driving so terribly and getting into crashes and violations. They watched you, mom and dad. They watched you. And organizations that have fleets 
need to set the right examples. And that's, you know, from the brand new rep that's been hired right on up to the CEO, it has to permeate the entire organization. But field level managers are a key to these things. And I know, Bob, that uh, your organization really does uh, focus in on that, trying to get your, your drivers to follow the rules and be safe. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Bob, because um, to your point, Phil, this is about awareness and education. And just because you see that commercial saying, oh, it's completely safe to drive and not look at the road. You know, Bob, you mentioned sending out safety messages and communicating with employees. And so I think a big part of it is truly that awareness and education. And it sounds like you do a lot of that with your employees. We do a lot of education. We, we try and create a culture of safety. One of my organization's core values is safety. We're in the medical business. So the whole idea is to, you know, keep customers safe, but that also employ, you know, uh, goes to our employees and our drivers. The only way to do that is, is you can't just tell them, you can't just write something in the policy. You have to live it and breathe it. It has to be part of your corporate culture. So as an example, like Phil was just saying, you know, by leading the, as an example, as a parent, even a supervisor. So if you have drivers that report to you and they have to call you for some reason, and the, you as the manager are driving down the road while having that call, you're telling the driver that it's perfectly acceptable to use your cell phone while driving. We have to make sure that doesn't happen. So, um, and a lot of this needs to come from the top down, right? We need to have senior leadership within any organization say that we don't do this and, and lead by that example. OEMs don't like us for other reasons too. I don't like their fancy little touchscreen dashboards that are just as complicated as a cell phone. Um, I'd much rather get back to a dial radio that, you know, uh, you turn on and hit the button to change stations. There is so much distraction coming from inside that vehicle, just from the screen to navigate what you do. So our manufacturers aren't really helping as we're trying to create this culture of safety by providing a vehicle that's even more complicated to use the radio. Yeah, Bob, if I can add to that, if, what's the difference between, you know, uh, navigating through your infotainment system on your dashboard and texting? There's there's none. It, you're still doing the same thing. It's, it's the same distraction. It's the same thing, right? 23 times more likely if you're if you're doing those things, 23 times more likely to crash if you're doing that garbage. So you're absolutely right. So <laughs> I listen, I love all the new technology and everything I'm for anything that's going to create safety, but I'm against anything that leads to distraction and, and making drivers unsafe. Well, and I think not knowing and not being familiar with some of that technology in the vehicle is also an issue. I got a new car recently and it took me a while to sit there, you know, in the driveway learning what button is this and where do I, how do I get to this? And it is, it's extremely distracting because there's so many options and so much there. So that's a great point there. We've had an episode where, you know, it would be valuable to have a dealer show you how to use some of that. And some of the dealers don't even know how it works. They'll show you how to adjust your seat and, you know, the steering wheel, but they're not going to show you through that infotainment system on how to do certain things. Maybe they should so that you're not doing it while you're driving that vehicle. Right, exactly. Don't figure it out while you're driving down the highway at 70 miles an hour. Um, switching gears just a little bit here, as, as you're both aware, NETS does conduct an annual benchmark report that we do with our members. It provides a comparison, uh, a really in-depth comparison of their fleet safety programs with other members, and it shows them how they compare in terms of crash and fatality and injury metrics uh, through evaluation of their fleet safety program. And we're looking this year to initiate a new study with some third-party supply chain and last mile delivery drivers to help promote safe driving policies with these types of companies as well. 
And so tell me your thoughts and your experience on lessons around driving with these larger vehicles, these, some of these delivery trucks that we see driving around, going down the highway, some of these um, semis and heavy goods vehicles, et cetera. So what, what can you share about um, being safe around these types of vehicles? If I can, Susan, first of all, your benchmark study, outstanding. It helps other companies promote their driver safety initiatives, saying, look what they're doing, look what we're doing. It really does uh, assist uh, companies with moving their driver safety initiatives forward. So I applaud NETS for that benchmark every year. It's fantastic. Uh, as far as with these other vehicles, the, the tractor trailers, the last mile drivers, the delivery vehicles and everything, there's a problem right now uh, in the U.S. where there's a real demand for these drivers. They don't have enough of them. So uh, my concern is that they're fast tracking some of these drivers to get behind the wheel. Now, I am not disparaging the industry. They have some very safe and very good drivers. My dad was a tractor trailer driver and had multiple million mile awards for no violations, no crashes. So I, I really understand the chore that that is to be safe when driving those vehicles. But right now they're kind of fast tracking some of these people to get behind the wheel. And, and some of these trucks also, a lot of the trucks are automatics. It's like my 13 year old granddaughter could get in there and put the thing in gear. You know, it's like, hmm. Is that really safe? So are they not as well trained and not experienced in getting behind the wheel? And and then also, because there's a demand, uh, they're being asked to do more. So we're having less trained, less experienced drivers having to push really hard. And that leads to unsafe driving. Uh, And then with these last mile drivers, same thing. I don't think there are too many of those delivery vehicles that you see that don't have dense scratches and paint transfers on them. So my my suggestion is for all drivers, give them space. And as far as the, the larger trucks, people will pull out in front of them and hit their brakes. They cannot stop like a four-wheel vehicle. Be safe. You know, if you see one coming, don't pull out thinking, well, I don't want to be behind that truck because they can't stop like you can. You're risking yourself and the driver of that truck and others. So uh, let that, you know what, if they're in front of you, they can't hit you. Okay. So let them go by and then pull out. It's just not safe to crowd these vehicles and to uh, and to think that they can, uh, they can stop and maneuver like you can in your four-wheel vehicle. Stay away from well, I think I saw, I think I saw you posted something the other day too, Phil, about speeding and, you know, good job. You, you just like pulled right in front of me and sped up and got to that stoplight in front of me. Good job. So same thing with yeah. trucks, you know, what's the point? You don't need to be pulling in front of them and putting yourself in an unsafe situation, speeding, trying to get there faster when it's really not going to make a difference. So yeah. Bob, any input on, on that thoughts from your end? Uh, Phil said it all. There's some of the last mile delivery companies that do a really good job of training and their drivers are very responsible crashes still happen with those groups but there's newer companies that are doing some last mile deliveries that aren't really doing the training very well as as the other companies i'm not trying to call anybody out here but they use technology to punish the drivers i'll say so i think it goes back to creating that culture of safety and making sure that drivers are properly trained before they're behind the wheel instead of beating them with a stick if you know some technology says that they were distracted for a minute which is still bad i love some of the technology but you have to incorporate both you have to train these drivers how to be good drivers and train them in the vehicle that they're driving. It's a lot different than what they drove when they first got their license. But everything else Phil said is is exactly what I was going to say. There's a driver shortage right now that's impacting who's behind the wheel of these vehicles. Stay away from them. 
One, as you're, you know, we're talking here about just that safety culture, you know, making sure that leadership and everybody is showing that example. It's the same with family members. So we're focusing not just on, on employees driving, but what about the family members? And when you're going home and being that example as a parent to your kids that are learning to drive. So as we're coming into these summer months, we're going to be out on the roads a lot more, uh, taking family trips, going on vacations. You know, some of us have teenagers that are going to be driving us parts of those trips. So what advice do you have for summer travel now that we're getting busier? There's more motorcycles on the road. Uh, you know, motorcycles are really a vulnerable road user out there. People are driving longer, getting more fatigued, for example, and spending more hours in the car. So what, uh, what advice do you have for some of these summer trips that we're going to be taking here pretty soon. Bob, you want to tackle motorcycles? I know you ride. I do ride. And it scares the hell out of me when people are out there not paying attention to what they're doing. Obviously, a motorcycle doesn't really have any cage around the driver to protect that person. So, you know, any impact that stops that vehicle is going to be devastating to the rider. They're going to continue moving while the while the bike stops. Be aware of your surroundings. Pay attention. Look both ways twice. Phil talks about it a lot about don't drive drowsy. Don't get complacent because you're comfortable with where you're driving, especially around motorcycles. They can come out of everywhere, anywhere they are going. Sometimes fast, sometimes too fast. I don't drive too fast. It's going to really be a devastating accident if, if something happens between a car and a, and a motorcycle. Yeah. And then just to build off what you just said there, Bob. So always look twice. And, you know, before you change lanes, pull out, merge, things like that, you have have to look for that motorcycle. And there are some motorcycle riders that are knuckleheads. You know, they're driving too fast and going down lanes and popping wheelies and all that. And we see those knuckleheads. But there are a lot of really good and safe motorcycle riders out there. And because they know if they crash, it's not going to end well for them. So they're very, very safe. Well, uh, unfortunately, every beginning of every summer, you see a number of motorcycle crashes. And, and people where I live, it's, it gets cold in the winter, so you don't see as many uh, bikes on the road. But this time of year, it just seems like there's so many of those because people are, are pulling out in front of them and, and doing just dumb things. Look twice. Stay off your electronics. Don't be overly dependent on your blind spot warning because that motorcycle might not show up. Do the shoulder check. Keep scanning your mirrors. Always make sure that there's nothing around you before you change lanes, pull out, and things like that. As far as driving on long drives, vacations, and things like that, stop. Build time to your schedule for rest. Get plenty of rest before a long drive. Never try to push through. If you find yourself missing miles, that's not safe. You need to stop on a regular basis. If you're refreshed and you're, you're alert again, okay, then go back to driving. But you know what? An hour later, if you start feeling groggy again, stop. Which drivers do whatever. Take a power nap. I don't care. Just be careful where you do that so you don't get carjacked. But, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, rest areas are rough. Okay, so. Yeah. <laughs> There were a lot of people around, okay? Just don't ever try to push through and get plenty of rest. And know your bad time of day, too. A lot of people, you know, feel a little tired, like right after lunch or, you know, right, right around dinner time, start getting groggy. Just know your bad time and try to avoid driving during those times. You know, and, and we talk about it, too, with the fatigue guide that we put out recently that, you know, fatigue driving, drowsy driving is just as bad as being impaired. And people don't realize that. That's exactly, that's exactly yeah, it, it has the same effect on you. So great information and advice. And really, it's not that difficult. I think we make this way too difficult. Don't drive distracted. Be aware. And that's what it is. Be safe. And it's it's really, we're making it too hard here with, with all of the technology and distractions and things. And, you know, we are responsible when we get behind the, the wheel there for that vehicle that we're driving and people forget that. So any final thoughts you want to share? I appreciate both of you being here today with us. Any final thoughts? Something other than go Phillies. So I'm sure you'd like to throw that out there. 
<laughs> I, I just want to add on, on what you just said, Susan. You know, this is basic stuff. This is no-brainer stuff. It's also stuff that we really learned, all of us here, we've been driving for a while. When I was driving, there weren't cell phones. There weren't as many distractions. I think I had an eight track in my car. I'm not really trying to age myself. But at the same time, you know, we concentrated on driving. Now there's so many distractions. Your vehicle is a distraction. Your screen is a distraction. Your phone is a distraction. Everything about that vehicle and everything that we're doing, we shouldn't be having to do this conversation right now. This is obvious stuff. And it's frustrating that we're kind of right back here trying to reteach people how to drive. And and newer drivers should be listening as well. But it was just a, I thought about that when you were saying that. And then if we go by what Steve Kiefer, the Kiefer Foundation says, just drive. Yeah. That's really what we want to go back to. It sums it up right there. Just drive. Phil and Bob, thank you both for being here with me today. Appreciate it. And we'll put a link uh, in the notes here about a link to your podcast as well, if anybody wants to check that out. So thanks for the time and everybody just drive. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Now, Driving Change, a network of employers for traffic safety podcast for anyone and everyone who is dedicated to advancing road safety. Be sure to subscribe and tune in each month for new episodes.